Well, good morning, good morning. It's so good to see so many of you here this morning. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Uh, so good to see so many uh, faces, and if you're a guest with us, we want to especially welcome you here this morning, and if you are joining up with us online, thank you for being a part of our service this morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, and as you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much to all of those who came out yesterday and spent a huge amount of their morning and afternoon helping to beautify and clean up here around the campus. Everything from power washing the side of the building to replacing nearly every ceiling tile in the uh, children's education building. I want to thank Eric Freeman who uh, provided all of those tiles and Eric and Patty were here uh, into the late evening making sure everything was cut and set. So what an amazing thing. If you have an opportunity, go check out the building. Uh, I want you all to see the beauty of what's happened in there. And the reason why we've done that is not only for Easter, but two weeks from today on April 11th, we're going to return to in-person Sunday school classes. And they're obviously going to look a little bit different than they have been in the past, but the majority of our adult classes are actually going to meet upstairs on the second floor of the education building. So as you step into those classrooms, you're going to see brand new uh, ceiling towels and beautiful everything. So we're excited about all of that, and we cannot wait to have you back and be a part of our Sunday school class. That'll start at 945 on April 11th, and we're going to have Sunday school classes for all ages from babies all the way up to our senior saints. For everybody, we cannot wait to have you all back. Sunday school classes, again, won't be the same that you were in before, but plenty of adult classes for you to be a part of. So look out for some more information on that, where they're going to meet, and the teachers and everything else. Uh, ladies, this tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. in the fellowship hall, we want to invite all of our ladies to come and be a part of a coffee fellowship and get together and and just join with each other and worship the Lord, both in fellowship and also looking at God's Word. So 6.30 p.m. tomorrow night. And then lastly is this, Easter. Here we are today's Palm Sunday, and we're beginning Holy Week. And we have a lot that's going on over Easter. You can see most of that in your bulletin, but I want to point out two things in particular. Next Friday at noon is a return to walk with a cross. Last year we couldn't do it because of COVID, but we're doing it this year. That's where we gather as multiple churches in Mint Hill. We'll meet right out here in front of our steps. We will come together, we will read God's word, we will worship, and then we will carry the cross to downtown Mint Hill. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. Also this, we've printed out some t-shirts. If you would like a t-shirt, we would ask you to sign up in the back on your way out. Just let us know that you would like one. They are first come, first served. We've ordered a certain amount, but just put your name down and the sizes that you would like, and we will try to make sure that you get a t-shirt for Walk with the Cross. Also, our finance committee has been working very hard to procure a golf cart, especially for our senior saints. And soon you'll see that tooling around our campus to help get everybody from point A to point B, but it's going to be here for Walk with the Cross. So if you would like to participate and you just say, I don't have the mobility to go from here to there, we have a golf cart for you. We have four spots remaining. So let me know, let the church office know, let Brother Keith Horn know, and we will get you slotted in for that golf cart. Lastly is this, Easter Sunday itself. We have three services starting at 7 a.m. outside in our parking lot. We're going to have a sunrise service and let the sun come up. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to celebrate the risen Christ. So 7 a.m. out in our parking lot. And then inside at 9 and 11, please take note of those two times, 9 and 11 a.m. will be in here. 
And what I would ask is this, and the last crowd had a good laugh over this because they come at 8.30. And so them coming at 9 o'clock is them sleeping in. But I'm going to ask everybody here, if you all are, would like to and are able to, and invite you to come to the 9 o'clock so that we have room in our 11 o'clock for our guests and those that might be coming in for, from our community. So I'm so excited. The Lord's already working into my heart. Um, what he uh, it, it wants to share on Easter Sunday morning. So I'm so looking forward to that. Well, Palm Sunday, here we are. I cannot wait. And, and the sermon today, while it's not directly related to Palm Sunday, it certainly has those elements in it because everything points to Jesus and points to the risen Jesus and our celebration and crying out Hosanna of the coming King. But today, as we look at the text, you might, uh, you might hear uh, an old phrase that we're all so familiar with. It might pop up in your mind as we approach the text, and I want to try to dispel it. But are you guys familiar with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves? Yes, we're all familiar with that phrase. Some of you have probably used it in your life, right? What's interesting is that's not found anywhere in Scripture. As we look at the text today, you may say it sounds like it, but it's not. In fact, how that entered into our American lexicon came back with Benjamin Franklin in his Poor Richard's Digest, his almanac. He was quoting an Aesop's fable, right? And so back then, Aesop was writing all these things, and he was recounting a story of Hercules and the Wagoneer. And this actually goes back to a couple hundred years before the birth of Christ, and the story goes like this, is that this Wagoneer was carrying a huge load, and he was trying to get home. And his wagon was overburdened. So as he was driving the wagon, it got mired in the mud. And so he began to pray to Hercules, the god of strength, to say, Oh, Hercules, I'm mired in the mud. Come help me get out. And so in response to his prayer, Hercules said this, Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. That's how this all entered into our lexicon. And somehow, what was a polytheistic view of the gods that they help us if we help ourselves became something attributed to the God of the universe and something that we as Christians often quote. But as we look at the text today, it may seem like that, but that is not at all what's being said. And something far more marvelous and wondrous is being said in the text today. So with that being said, if you have found Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, and you are able, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word? It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. 
Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to worship your holy name. Father, thank you that you have sent us Jesus, the humble servant who humbled himself even to death, even to death on a cross, who is now highly exalted at your hand. Father, bearing your name, Yahweh God, Lord of the universe. Now, Father, I pray that as we lean into the word today, we see that you have worked into us salvation. And Father, we are to work it out, not only in the church, but in our community. Father, I pray your spirit would move in this place today. Father, it would move amongst your people. And Lord, we would see your glory. And Father, that we would act upon it. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak and move me out of the way. Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, I pray this in the blessed name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So last service, I got very excited about this. And also, I have a lot, and I was talking super fast. You combine that with the pollen that's outside and all of the, uh, the tile dust that I breathed yesterday, uh, I started getting very uh, uh, froggy in the last service. So I'm, I'm going to try to calm it on down and, and, and not be... But this is so exciting, it's hard not to be calm. And I hope God's Word excites you in the same way. Well, I've titled today's sermon this, The Working Out of the Working In. The working out of the working in. And there's only two points in this. The first one is this, the outworking, the outworking. We find that in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a verse that is very familiar to us. In fact, many of you, if you've ever done a Bible drill, you had to memorize this verse. Work out your own salvation. But he starts this way, therefore. Last week we camped out on therefore a while. But here what he is saying is he's connecting something that actually begun way back in Philippians 1.27. We looked at that about four weeks ago where he is calling the church into unity that we would be in one accord, in one mind, in one spirit, working for the Lord. And so now we come to the, his completing of that thought. And, and really what he's doing here is he's applying the beauty of the Christ hymn that we spent two weeks on, this gorgeous text that has preceded where we are today, where it spoke of the great humility of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that he humbled himself from heaven into the form of a servant, and then humbled himself even unto death, even a death on the cross. And then God highly exalted him to where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. And so here he's applying that and he's saying this, because Jesus humbled himself, because God exalted him on high, because Jesus is our example, because of your diligence to obey him, as he said here, you have always obeyed. Because of these things, apply the example of Jesus Christ in your daily living. Apply this to your daily living. And then he goes and he tells us how we should apply this in what we do. He says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. See, when when I was growing up and, and as a young Christian, and I, I came to this verse, and what I always understood it to mean was this. When he said, work out your salvation, was essentially kind of figure it out in your brain. 
understand the faith that you claim. Don't just say the words, but understand the words. It was truly a make sense of your salvation so that you can live your life before Christ. And I also thought as I approached this that this was an individual command, that Paul was saying to us individually, work out your own salvation, figure it out, know it, know what Christ has done. But I come to you today telling you it's neither one of these things. That's not at all what Paul is saying. First, he's not telling us to figure out our salvation. What he's telling us is to exercise our salvation, to actively put into practice the humility, the mercy, the grace, and the power of Jesus Christ that saved you from death. Exercise that in your daily living. What God has exercised into you through Jesus, you are to exercise out of you and spill out and pour out on all those around you. Work out your salvation. What a beautiful thing to understand. Everything that Jesus did to save you, you should be exercising that on all others. Secondly is this. While we can imply and understand that this is, of course, an individual command, it's actually not directed to us as individuals. It's directed to the church. As Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he is saying this, O oh, church, O oh, my friends, exercise your salvation together. Exercise it as a community and of course, in order to exercise as a community, we must exercise as individuals. But hear what he's saying. All the beauty of salvation poured into you, O church united, pour it out on each other. Pour it out on the community. And he tells us this. He says to the community, to the church, work out your salvation and do so with fear and trembling. Do so with fear and trembling. In the Greek, this is phobos and tromos. He has this beautiful rhyme, phobos and tromos, fear and trembling. See, you can approach that text and think that this is something that the salvation were to be afraid of or, or to fall and, and be scared, and that's not at all what Paul is saying. In fact, he uses this throughout his various letters. This is a catchphrase of his, fear and trembling. It simply means this, that we are to be in awe and wonder of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We are to take the great exalted God Almighty in Jesus and we are to bow our knee every day and in the beauty of the light of Christ to work out and exercise our salvation in awe of Him because of how good He is. And from the text, he says this is what we are to do as a community and he gives us two prime examples Two illustrations on how we can do this. First of which is found in verse 14. He says this, Do everything, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And I think this really brings us to the point of why Paul is saying what he's been saying. What he's been writing to the church of Philippi, as much as he loves them, as much as he knows that they are a powerhouse of foreign missions, as much as he knows that they are uh, themselves 
under persecution from the Roman Empire there in Philippi, there has been something in the church that has been a problem. And that problem has been some breaking of unity, a disunity found in the congregation. And so he says to them, everything you do, do so without arguing or grumbling. So there is some form of disunity there and is found in these two forms, arguing and grumbling. And when he says it to the person in the first century, especially to a Jewish believer, their minds would immediately track back to Egypt. And they would be reminded of how God, in all of His might, in all of His splendor, in all of His glory, moved the children of Israel, rescued them from Egypt, rescued them from slavery, rescued them from bondage, redeemed them out of the hand of Pharaoh, and brought them to a promised land. But in between their freedom from enslavement and their days coming to the promised land, those desert wanderings, the children of Israel began to complain. And they began to grumble. And they began to be upset. So they complained and grumbled against Moses. And they would say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? There we had fire pots that had meat and we had vegetables. There we had a place to put our head and sleep. There we had water to drink. And throughout all this time, the wilderness wandering, they just wanted to go back to slavery. And they began to just throw it in the face of Moses and throw it in the face of God. Because the children of Israel wanted what they wanted. And what they wanted was slavery. But God had rescued them. And so it calls for us today the exact same picture. God has rescued us from slavery of sin. And He is taking us to a promised land that will never fade, that will never be taken from us. But here we are in the wilderness and if we're not careful, our own desires will cause us to argue and grumble. See, the same thing was happening even in the triumphal entry of Jesus. Is here he's coming into Jerusalem, and the gathered crowds see Jesus coming in, and they start cutting palm branches, and they start laying it at his feet, and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And with the days... They would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Scripture tells us exactly why. Because Jesus was coming to save them. But he was coming to save their souls. And all they wanted was to be saved from Rome. And so when Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do, they wanted to kill him. See, when Jesus fed their bellies, when Jesus healed their wounds, he was the great Lord. But when he wasn't coming to overthrow Rome, but to save them from the worst disease any man can have, and that's sin itself, they rejected him. They grumbled against him. They complained against him. They argued against him. And so they took away their palm branches and they wanted to nail him to a tree. And so the same is happening here. 
is that something is happening inside of the church of Philippi, and they're grumbling, and they're arguing. And so Paul is saying, oh, church, work out your salvation inside the church. Work out your salvation inside the church. See, when we really see the exalted Jesus and what he did to save us, we exercise the same grace, we exercise the same humility towards one another. And so Paul is saying to the gathered church, O church, exercise salvation together as one body. Come together in humility and serve one another. See the almighty exalted Jesus Christ. See what he's done. And then exercise that exactly on your brother and sister. Church, we are gathered in a largest number I think I've seen since we, this COVID mess started. And you, that means you can look to the left and to the right. It used to be you couldn't. Now you can look to the left and the right and you can see someone. And you can see someone to serve. And you can see someone to pour out grace and mercy on. And we come together as a body. And the second example he gives us is this. So we're to work out inside of the church, work out our salvation inside the church, but we're to work out our salvation inside the community. Notice in verse 15, he says, So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. We are called to be shining lights into a crooked and perverse world. See, when we exercise the salvation that has been worked into us, we shine with a gospel light into all the world. See, God has called us to be the humans he has created us to be, not the broken creatures filled in sin. And he has called us to shine with the gospel of Jesus Christ, If you recall, when Moses went up to the mountain and he came back down and he was in the presence of God, his face shone so much that all those around him said, you've got to cover your face. We can't even look at you because you shine with the grace of God. And friends, we have seen Jesus. And he is in us. And so he has called us, like we see in Daniel, to shine like the stars in the sky into a world that is crooked and perverse. And he tells us when we work out our salvation, four things will occur. We will be blameless. Blameless, which means free from defect. We will be pure, which means we are unsullied by this world. We are be faultless, which means to be morally uncompromised, and that we will hold fast to the Word, not drawing away. These things cannot be achieved by us. They come only from the Lord. We cannot generate these attributes, but we can exercise them. We can exercise our salvation inside the church and to the community, and we're going to see why in just a moment. That leads me to the second point of this, the in-working. So we've seen the out-working, exercise your salvation. Now we see the in-working. Look with me again at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. This is supposed to dovetail with verse 12, 
which is speaking of our working. Now we see what God does. It is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. We cannot achieve what we just talked about ourselves. Only God does it in us. This is not saying my work plus God's work equals a positive outcome. This is not saying God helps those who help themselves. This is God empowering our desire and our ability to exercise our salvation in the church and in the community. Simply stated is this, God empowers us to work out what he has worked in. See, God works into us the will to exercise our salvation. We see it right there in 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. He works into us the will to exercise our salvation. He gives us the motivation to display our faith. He gives us the motivation to exercise our salvation. See, if we rely on our willpower alone, we'll fail. Think of it this way. How many of you have ever tried to go on a diet? How many of you have ever tried to sustain that diet based on how you want to do it? I failed at this miserably all the time. Because here's the deal. For just a little while, I can resist that donut. I can do that on my own. My pants don't fit. Let's, let's not eat a donut. But over the course of time, something happens. And that donut looks real good. And then I have a donut. And I'm like, my pants still fit. It's all good. And then I have another donut and then another donut, and next thing you know, we're back where we were before. That's what happens when we do it on our own willpower. But what happens when God, through his Holy Spirit, empowers your desire? When it is God who places in your heart to move? Only then, when God lifts up our will based on his own, can we achieve what God has called us to achieve. So God works into us the will to exercise our salvation. But not only that, God also works into us the ability to exercise our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the power and the force that overcomes our weakness. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit is the power and the force that overcomes our weakness in this life. So God wills it. God makes it able for us to do it. He works it into us so that we'll work it out. So the question is, why does he do this? We have the answer right here in 13. According to his good purpose. According to his good purpose. See, God desires that the church look like his son. He desires us, O church, to look like Christ. And he also desires that the world would see and receive his son. And so he empowers the church to go out and show the world Jesus Christ. Why? 2 Peter 3, 9, the second part of that tells us why. God not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is his good purpose the church to look like his son, and the world to receive his son. And Paul tells us that he is an example of this, of this working out and working in. We see it peppered throughout all this text today. 
He sees this. He sees joy and partnership with the Philippian church as they exercise their salvation, as he also has exercised his salvation with them. He sees the exercising of their salvation, of this mercy, of this humility, of this grace as an offering to God. And he says so here in 16, by holding firm to the word of the Lord, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. See, Paul is seeing his days draw to a close. And he's writing to the Philippian church, and he says it more than once if you go back even into one. He says, if I come to you or if I don't, because he sees that there's a possibility that he's not coming back to see them. He says, if I come to you or if I don't, I don't want my running to have been in vain. See, there he's talking about the exercise for real, running, running in faith. Everything I have worked out in salvation on you, I don't want it to have been in vain. He says, and I don't see it as being in vain. Because church... I see that you have offered a sacrifice of faith unto God. That's what he's saying here. Your service, your sacrifice of faith. He says, you're exercising your salvation. You're exercising being like Jesus is an offering that is brought into the tabernacle of heaven and it is laid before God as a sweet fragrance unto him. And he says, oh, church is my greatest joy to have run with you and that I may be poured out as a drink offering along with your offering of faith. What does that even mean? Well, if you go back to the Levitical law, it was this. As you entered in and you gave an offering unto the Lord and it was placed on the fires and it was burned and it was an incense that would go up to the Lord, the priest would also take a drink offering and pour it off to the side so that combined... These two items, the fragrance therein, would be pleasing unto God. And Paul is saying, it is not my sacrifice, it's yours, and that you have given it unto him, and I can just join with you and be just the drink that pours out beside it, that us combined be something beautiful before God because of what he's done for us. And he would later say in 2 Timothy, as he's coming to the end, and he says to them, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Paul knows his time is coming, and he knows that that drink offering may yet be his blood that is poured out. But he says it combines together, all of us together. And that the exercising of our salvation is a pleasing aroma unto God. See, Paul wants the Philippians to see, and by extension, he wants us to see what happens when we model Christ? What happens when we exercise salvation? Well, what happens is this. The church unites. The world sees a great light. And God is well pleased in the aroma that comes to him. The church unites. The world sees a great light. And God is pleased. So in closing, I say this. The question that we must ask as a body, as a church, are we 
exercising our salvation together? Are we working out what God has worked in? And I don't bring that to you today saying that there's a problem in our congregation. I say this is a question we as the body of believers must ask every day of our lives. Are we the body united here in this room, Mint Hill Baptist Church, are we working out our salvation together in unity, humility, grace poured out? Are we individually working out our salvation so that it pours out on others? See, God is pleased when we are unified, and He can and does move when we submit, when we submit unto Him. So that's the last question I have for those who may be here today. Have you submitted to this salvation? Do you see Jesus as the great, high, and mighty, exalted one? Have you bowed your knee unto him? If you have not, today is the day. I was talking with Brother Don as he came in. He said, there's nothing I can do about yesterday. I don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. All I have is today. That's all you have. Will you bow unto the Lord today? Will you submit to his grace and allow him to work into you grace and mercy and life so that you may be a bright and shining light? All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died on the cross for you. Confess your sins. Confess his name. And you will be saved. If that's you this morning, we're going to sing here in just a moment. Come forward. Grab me. Say, I want to know this Jesus. It may be that you are here today and you would like to unify with this body in a different way, that you would like to join this church. We would love to receive you here this morning. And it may be that you just need prayer. Take an opportunity to pray. This altar is open. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we will be dismissed today. But God bless you all. May we work out what God has worked in. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you've done. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the high and exalted one. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved. Now, Father, I pray by your will and by your action, you would move in us and stir our will and stir our actions to work out, to exercise the salvation that you have worked in. Oh, Father, may we show all that we meet grace. May we show all that we meet humility. May we show all that we meet mercy. May we show all that we meet the high and exalted Jesus so that, Father, we would be lights in a crooked and perverse world, not angry with the world, but seeking its salvation as you sought us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would work only you can do this. And I pray it now in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen.